All right. Welcome to the Dadpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Oliveira. I'm really excited for my guest today. We're talking cybersecurity. It's something that we hear all day, every day in the media, in financial news, whether it's, you know, issues with blockchain and cryptocurrency, NFTs, but then there's the other side of the maybe not so sexy for the average business owner side of cyber, which is the stuff that happens with IT and the background and the people who manage it, what kind of processes you use. And that's why I wanted to have Brian Toe here. He's from LeapFrog, a company that specializes in cybersecurity, and he's going to tell us all about that. Welcome to the podcast, Brian. Awesome, Alex. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Absolutely. So tell me, uh, have you been in IT your whole life or was there a sort of a different industry you entered in early on? No. Well, I mean, I was in college and uh, <laughs> ended up uh, working at Sam's Club and uh, long story short, uh, ended up in risk management uh, somehow, which led to uh, spending time, a lot of time in the technology area. Because uh, I had had Information Systems 220, which made me the regular, uh, the resident computer expert, and uh, ended up turning that into a services business. Because you know, when you buy computers out of a warehouse, it's like buying a number ten can of beans, right? I mean, what do you do with it? Um, so I went to the GM and uh, asked if I could uh, uh, help our clients uh, with with that and doing that. And uh, the very short version of a long story is I ended up exiting that, started started my first company, which I in, in technology building computers which I sold off when I was 24, um, made the move over into cyber uh, in the late 90s um, when I was uh, doing a lot of networking and wide area networking and that, that kind of thing and got put on a project with a former NSA security guy. Okay. Turns out uh, that at that time, uh, the security team, even at, even at the federal government level, didn't really have the... The, the intricate knowledge of the World Wide Web, as we called it at that time, uh, and that kind of thing. So we worked together very, very well in taking my networking background and their security background. Um, so he kind of became a mentor of mine, and I've entered the security world at that point and uh, just found a, a lot more intrinsic value in uh, uh, working to protect things rather than just simply nailing things up and see them go fast, right? So I've been, uh, I've been in security ever since. Well, that sounds exciting. And, uh, you know, the, for the young entrepreneurs listening, you know, who are maybe just entering the, the world of business, you know, and maybe they don't have enough experience with cybersecurity. Um, is cybersecurity for like those small business owners, the, the, the solopreneurs who are like, hey, I have a website, maybe I have a back end and a small cloud with data. Um, can I go with the guy that I found on Upwork? Or do I need to hire a company or like, or can I do it myself? What do you say? Because I want to start at like the bare minimum here. Yeah. Okay. Starting with the bare minimum. The first, first thing is, is uh, make no mistake about the, uh, about the threat. Mm -hmm. um, right. People will say, uh, you know, what do I have that an attacker would, would have, you know, nobody would ever come after me. You know, I'm, right. not, I'm not protecting the, the, the secret sauce for Coca-Cola or something like that. Right. Um, there, regardless of what business that, that you're in, um, you know, maybe you don't have an, an intellectual property that somebody would, 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 would come after. Right. And, and we very, very often think of custodial data. You know, I don't have credit card numbers. I don't have this, this data store 
that somebody would want to come in and get. So therefore, my uh, my my situation is is not is uh, not really uh, magnetic, so to speak, to hacker. Um, I would I would suggest this. Um, Note the data that you have is not more valuable to anybody than it is to you. And the attackers know that. So if they were to be able to come in and take your data away from you and ransom you back for it, they know how much that money, or they know how valuable that data is to you. And there's a monetary value there to you, maybe not necessarily to them, but certainly uh, to you, right? So ransomware is always, is always a, a, a consideration. Um, you know, data reputations. Okay, so especially if you're if you're developing something, say you're developing, I don't know, um, you know, whatever the next widget is going to be, and you decide uh, at one point that you want to uh, seek out uh, seed capital, venture, Series A, Series B, whatever, right? You want to go after mm -hmm. those guys. Um, we do a lot of work with financial portfolios. Um, because one of the areas of risk that those guys are seeing now is in the cyberspace, right? Okay. So if they're buying, if they're going to invest, you know, X millions of dollars into your new up and coming gadget, um, what's to say that that property, uh, the schematics and designs on it haven't been stolen. And when they invest in that, it's going to be, they're going to see it pop up and being made in China. Um, they've completely lost their valuation. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, basically, it's going to be difficult for you to get that funding if you can't prove that you've done the diligence and the things that you need to do to protect your intellectual property. So it, there, there becomes an inherent value uh, in there in protecting your IP. Uh, if you ever decide you want to go get funding, you're going to have to show that 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 data uh, has not been stolen. Because fact of the matter is, why would I want to invest in something uh, when that same widget is going to end up being produced in China and take me completely out of the market? No, that that makes total sense, and that's great sound advice for those those entrepreneurs who are looking for that. In terms of like cyber insurance kind of leading into that question i hear this from some small business owners oh i'm set i got cyber insurance how far does that really go cyber insurance okay so see that seeing this very very good question because we do see a lot of people that just simply rely on insurance well keep in mind insurance is after the fact it's <laughs> not it's not preventative <laughs> Yeah. Uh, in nature. So, you know, when you get hacked, you're already going through the hassle. Uh, now you have an insurance company that makes their uh, valuations uh, on Wall Street by not paying you. Mm -hmm. um, right. Because when they pay you, that goes into their profit margin. So their first mission is 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 to not pay you. Um, so the other the other thing about that is I'll, I'll, let me give you a, a, a very brief example. So we have had a, uh, a client um, whose phone systems got hacked. Okay. Um, so Leapfrog manages the IT. We manage the servers that that software would sit on, but we have no visibility into the actual software on it. Mm -hmm. um, so the phone company manages that. Uh, the customer um, that there was a vulnerability in that software that got got attacked brought the brought the uh, the phones down for the entire organization. All right, mm -hmm. we get the call. Uh, so I call the uh, the client. The client says, "No, we're good." Uh, the insurance company is here. They've sent their forensic team. And I tried to explain to them what their actual mission was. And uh, unfortunately, it fell on deaf ears um, <laughs> for about 24 hours. 
So the insurance company sends their forensics team in there to look for the smoking gun. Okay, They're trying to look to find where the vulnerability is, find where the exploitation was. And if you, as the insurer uh, or the insured, have done mm-hmm. something silly, so to speak, and then they can get out of paying you, uh, then they're not going to pay you. So I had to try to explain to them. And, and anyway, so we we are in a position to where all we can do is manage the technology and the servers. We can stand servers back up and that's really it. The phone company can't do anything without the technology. The insurance company is on the phone company about what they're doing. Nobody is working for this client to get their phones back mm-hmm. up. Um, so you think the insurance company is on your side. So the, the, the short version of all of that is, you know, I got involved uh, coordinating with the technology company, coordinating with the phone company. The very first instruction is nobody talks to the insurance company uh, until we have all of this resolved. If you have something you think you need to say to them, run it mm-hmm. through me. Let me make sure that we're putting that into the right filter. Uh, to uh, not hide anything, of course, but to make sure that it's positioned properly, that we're not going to give away anything that would otherwise fall on. Right. That's so a, yeah, go ahead. No, that's a great that's a great example. I was thinking about a few examples of my own that I've experienced with other clients where they're to your point, their data was actually not held to hostage, but sold on the dark web, and then these guys on the dark web went reaching out to their clients. So it kind of ruins your reputation at that point, right? Because if someone is reaching out to your client and saying, Hey, I have here, like your whole relationship, all the transactions that you've had with company a, right. You're going to call company a and say, what, what's going on here, guys? Why is my data in our transaction history out there? Um, and in this particular case that I'm referring to was a medical practice. So HIPAA laws violated. I mean, the list goes on that it insurance is, one part of it, but being totally proactive is is really the the big part of it. Let me ask you something real quick. I heard uh, last week on uh, financial news about uh, certain states they're passing certain regulation to prevent government employees from accessing certain applications on their on their smartphone, especially if it's a, a work phone. Um, primarily, we can, we can TikTok. say TikTok. Yeah, yeah, we can say TikTok. It's okay. But so primarily TikTok, and I agree with that. First of all, I don't have any social media apps on my smartphone, period. Um, I try to do all the right things, VPNs, this, that, and the other, and just keep it simple. But I know that's not most people, right? Most people are just downloading apps left and right. What what, what do you think the risk is there, uh, uh, Brian, with, with TikTok? Okay, so the... The genuine nature of the app of TikTok is not necessarily malicious or sinister or anything. Okay, mm-hmm. so you know videos uh, that they um, you know have an algorithm to your taste, the for you page, whether it's you know dancing this or uh, you know <laughs> philosophical that or you know wordle this or whatever. Uh, and there's really nothing sinister about that. Okay, so put all that aside and the functionality of the app, uh, where the threat potentially is, is that the access required for TikTok to function, okay? Microphone, camera, geolocation, those kind of things, right? Mm-hmm. So for that app to function the way it's supposed to function, it has access into that device mm-hmm. of all, all the critical stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, which could potentially uh, be used to track uh, citizens. Um, Sometimes citizens are of a uh, of, of of a higher value. 
um, I'll, I'll, I'll make a case. So uh, there was a case some years ago about uh, the Fitbits okay. being used in the military. Uh, and so as a gift, somebody would send uh, a Fitbit to somebody on a base in Afghanistan, and then they would routinely run the perimeter of the base. Uh, and basically that information is available on social media. So they were literally outlining the entire base mm -hmm. of a military base in Afghanistan because of a Fitbit. Right. So while the operation side of the Fitbit is in no way malicious or sinister, right. uh, the potential there for use of geolocation data, and that kind of thing um, could be potentially used in such a way that the, the data could be gathered that could be potentially a national security. Right. So certain individuals, uh, certain trending and patterns of traffic flows and, and things like that, um, especially all the way down to kids. Um, using TikTok, obviously, in their in their phones, um, we've seen instances. We do a lot of work uh, in the K twelve space, uh, without getting you know too terribly dark. But we've seen instances not only in ransoming um, the data, specifically like uh, social worker data mm -hmm. inside the K twelve environment, because there's healthcare data in there that could potentially be. Uh, um, what I want to use uh, for, for the kids, and so, so, but we've seen uh, there's an organization uh, in the dark web called called the Dark Overlords that have threatened um, that they understand the kid where the kids are at certain days and have threatened more kinetic types of attacks. Um, right, so the TikTok as an app that has access to your phone, uh, uh, to your your camera, your geolocation, and your microphone could potentially be used to gather trending information even on kids uh, in that way. Um, is any of that being done? There's no evidence uh, that I have seen either, certainly in the, in the above ground, right, in the media, but there's no chatter in the dark web or anything like that that I've seen that, that that's actually being done. But the potential is absolutely there. The tools are there. The access is there. Um, if China uh, or an intermediary, which is probably who it would be, that um, the nation state of China to act in such a way would certainly be uh, seen by our mm -hmm. Uh, we would see that as an actor. I highly likely would not be the nation state of China, it would be the intermediary of mm -hmm. uh, But either way, so the tools are there. So that's that's really the threat. Are there are there any active threats right now that we're aware of? No, but when you lay all the tools out to make a bomb, you have to assume that somebody's going to eventually insert tab A into slot B, right? So it's good to be caught. So, you know, I mean, you consult with companies, you help solve problems, you know, you put processes in place so that they can avoid these sorts of issues. Isn't it just easier for companies to implement sort of these these rules that say, like, look, you can't download these apps or just block them or even like with I think of like software like um, uh, Family Link. And there's a few other ones that I've used yeah. with my kids where I. Sure manage the devices so are employers doing that right now uh yeah to some degree but here's the challenge especially uh, i think for most of your listeners we talk about startups and and things like that mm -hmm. most of those startups um don't own the devices that's true 
right? So yep. like the laptop, so what standing do you have to tell somebody what they can and cannot have on their laptop? And if they do have it on their laptop, uh, let's say you do implement a, um, a software on there that you could, you know, potentially remote wipe or something along those lines um, and without proper governance and, and authority and signatures and those kind of things, you remote wipe somebody else's device and lose their wedding picture. Um, you know, you're in big trouble. And, and as, as, as crazy as it may sound, everybody, May or may not think I'm nuts, but I'm I'm here for that reason. Um, you know, we had a company one time that executed a, a remote wipe for an employee as as they left, and uh, sad as it is, her son uh, unfortunately had committed suicide, and his final voicemail was on that phone. Wow! Uh, never to be recovered. Right. Sure. So there was a liability. There was a lawsuit, and and the employee ended up ended up winning because the company did not have proper governance and signatures to uh, to remote wipe that device. Um, so there's a lot of things to think about in there. And, and coming back to one of your 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 other questions, kind of about about what you do really about all this as as a small a small um, a business, and everybody focuses so much on the technology. Right. Because when we talk about security, pretty much everything we've talked about so far has been, you know, the bits, bites and blinky lights. Right. You know, the technology. Right. <laughs> um, well, make no mistake, the small businesses are actually, in fact, under under attack, first of all. Um, but don't forget that when we protect businesses, we have something that, that we call our ring of security. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so when you line up the four pillars, right, nothing new, uh, people, processes, technology and facilities. Everybody mm -hmm. knows that it's existed since uh, you know transistors. Um, but when you wrap the attack surface around that, what we discover, uh, according to MIT and even Columbia University, is that the technology barely covers half of our attack surface. Mm -hmm. You do the root cause analysis on any of these headline breaches. And I've been using Equifax for some time. Um, now, now uh, Rackspace has given me something more current to talk about. Uh, right, those patches had been out for the Equifax breach for six months. Uh, the patches for the uh, suspected, they have not officially announced it, but being in the space and we have the exact same top technology that they uh, that they got compromised on the inside leapfrog that we took care of, of course, right? Mm -hmm. um, those patches had been available for several weeks. Right? So what broke? Was it lack of attention, change management? Um, Patch management, something in that program broke that caused that, that that problem. It was not the technology. The technology was there to 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 prevent those those types of breaches. So when you're looking at things uh, like that, you have to look at the people side, mm -hmm. right? You've got to look at um, you know, are we not not just doing training? An annual training is a fail, right? Two three weeks later, once you've been through that training, that data goes stale and it's no longer top of mind anymore, right? So there has to be a culture of security that we build inside our organization. And um, one of the ways that we have that the most effective in doing that is um, support, bring in, uh, like do a cyber bully, mm -hmm. right? Uh, talk about how you keep your kids and how you keep your home safe from, from cyber attack. Um, most of the things that we suggest in all of that uh, are a lot of the same things that you probably have in your cyber policies at, for, for your organization. And what's interesting is when you tie the mommy and the daddy clause uh, to that, right? Because at the end of the day, building a culture is not about what you want your people to do. It's about what you want your people to feel, mm -hmm. right? So if you build that type of an organization, you have that type of training. I typically do it uh, opposite of the annual cyber training to have it be most effective. 
those behaviors walk right back through the front door. And we see fishing scores improve, right? We see just a general, a general, everything gets better uh, by tying that, that emotion. To it. So my, my biggest advice, two things, don't think that you're not a target. Uh, you absolutely are. And don't forget about the program and the governance, the people and the processes and the things that, that you're doing, not just protecting the, the, the technology itself. Yeah. And I think for most organizations, you know, it, it's something that they can even market, right? Just like if you're eco-friendly or ESG or anything like that, you you put it out into the world and you say like, look, even though we are in this industry, we take security or the environment or whatever it is, social causes, we take it very serious. And by the way, here's how we do it, right? In your case, a client in your world may say, we work with LeapFrog and here's what LeapFrog does for us and what that means for you, the client, when you come to our website, even if it's an e-commerce website, right? I mean, there's data being exchanged there. You have users that are accessing your website, your data from their own home and IP. And, you know, you've got chat that 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 is deployed in real time. Someone maybe in India is answering the chat. I mean, there's right. so many, so many touch points and ways in which you can really screw up and, and have a PR nightmare. But but before we 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 get to this part of the podcast, I wanted to kind of change the conversation now. Uh, Brian, and and really ask you about the five key trends because there's at this time of the year we always see these lists, the top twenty two things, twenty two things. It is, is too many. it is trends season. <laughs> so December tell us the five trends season. Yeah. Oh my god! All right, come up with five trends. Good lord. Okay, how do we do that? Not twenty three um, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. Okay, so um, I tell you what, uh, I, I'm going to address the first one. I will call it in, in no particular order, just whatever my brain happens to bomb awesome. it out <laughs> right so uh the first one uh i'm going to come back to what you were saying before uh about Let's e-commerce and and that kind of thing right about um security and 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 what you're doing and and you know customer. so um i don't really follow a lot of statistics uh i, I see them all the time i'm really looking more of like for trends like kind of like what we're talking about but one stuck one that i heard two weeks ago from a report that came out really stuck with me because it spoke volumes on a multitude of levels so uh the trend is customers are expecting security Okay. All right. So we'll, 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 we'll label that one as, as the headline. So when you come back, when what you were saying to e-commerce, that, that, uh, that statistic comes to my mind, 60% of carts are abandoned if they don't have, if the customer doesn't perceive proper security, meaning, you know, a captcha, a two factor, right? Some of those types of things before they check out of your e-store, if you don't have proper security control and 60% of consumers are abandoning carts now. That's up. I believe they said somewhere between 20 and 30% over last year. Okay. That is phenomenal. There's never been an increase. Um, so what that tells us is that we have sort of reached the, uh, the what I've been using as the seatbelt conundrum uh, for a very long time, right? So, uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago, people took seatbelts out of cars. What's a seatbelt? Nobody cares. You know, now there's the debate. Is it? Is it not? Right. Um, and now if you don't have a seatbelt on, you know, you get in a, a car as a passenger and the driver looks at you. If you don't put your seatbelt on, you know, they think you're an idiot. Right? So mm -hmm. we've we've kind of passed that point to where now seatbelts are ex not only expected, they're required. Mm -hmm. And the culture 
just completely embraces that. And, and having that 60% abandon rate means that the consumer, the general consumer purchasing something, if they don't have that perception or that comfort level, because again, what people do and what people feel, if they don't feel comfortable with that transaction, they will abandon their cart 60% of the time. Um, so using security as a, uh, as a tool uh, to make clients feel safe, competitive advantages, you know, kind of like you were saying and so forth, I think is, is really important. Um, you know, as far as other trends, uh, everybody is, is continuing to pour on to the ransomware uh, thing uh, mm -hmm. because it works. Uh, about 43 or 4% of, uh, I think the last one I heard of ransomware is coming from two organized uh, uh, ransomware groups now. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so that trend in ransomware is going to be continual uh, uh, um, evolution of the organized crime uh, in ransomware, right? So there are these groups. Now you have groups that are very specifically uh, in the development of the ransomware. You have groups that are very specifically in the distribution. Uh, you have groups that are very specifically in the uh, payment and the distribution of funds, right? You have all these different groups that have these different supply chain goals. Um, and so you're going to continue to see that I think operate in the uh, in the dark world. There's a there's a couple. Yeah, it's it's funny as as you were. Talking about that, Brian, I was thinking about the, just before Thanksgiving, I went to pick up a a a, um, a honey baked ham at the honey baked ham store. Um, and, and it, you know, it's a small operation. I mean, it's a huge operation nationally. Yes, it's a big business. But, um, you know, when you walk into one of those little stores, it's small, right? There's maybe like six, seven people working in there, cash register, whatnot. But every year in any location I go, Right. Whether I'm visiting family or it's here in town, there is an armed security guard because they're moving so much money during that week. Right. Millions of dollars. And you see the armored truck pull up two, three times a day. And I've had this conversation to someone who who works in the company. And I said, I, I had no idea there was that much money in, in, in honey baked ham, you know. But he said, no, well, yeah, for those those weeks during the holiday, we are moving lots of money. So they have the armed security guards, even when it's in a zip code that is, you know, no crime. OK, so I think about that as an analogy to in 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 the real world here. Right. Uh, we feel comfortable at a sporting event or at the at Tiffany's at the mall, wherever different stores where you you make a plan, you contract a company with security guards, sometimes armed to secure these physical products that, you know, maybe the price point isn't so high, but they want to make you the customer feel better. And they just want to kind of prevent. It's the same thing online, right? If you're running a 10, 20, $30 million operation, and I'm mentioning those names because a lot of the mid-sized businesses I talk to in that world, they seem to not be so worried about cybersecurity. And then I kind of give them those examples. They say, well, why not? I'm not a guy. I don't stand to win anything. But even my operation is small with 10 employees. I do everything I can, not only in my home, but also mm -hmm. with my employees to make sure we're as secured as one can possibly be. And then just to be proactive and have those plans in place. Yeah. So, uh, well, we, we call that security theater. Uh, right. So, uh, you know, going through the airport and seeing guys with, with machine guns and that kind of thing is uh, is not reducing 
uh, uh, much threat or anything at all, right? I mean, you know, how many times have we ever heard of uh, an act where somebody holding a submachine gun in an airport has has neutralized a threat? No, yeah, no, no, you don't hear that. Uh, but it makes people feel more comfortable when they fly, right? So mm-hmm. it's the theater, it's the theater part of it uh, that certainly goes along with that. But you know, and and studying asymmetric warfare for twenty plus years as as I have. Uh, one of the biggest, uh, one of the mantras around that is why, why do I need to attack a tiger when there are plenty of sheep for the, right? So we don't need to go after, you know, the big, the big companies of the world uh, when there are plenty of, of unprotected sheep. And, and, and um, in that analogy, you know, your small business, uh, if left unprotected, is valuable to somebody. Um, whether or not that data is valuable to you, uh, like I was saying, or if it's custodial data uh, to somebody else. And, you know, you mentioned uh, the medical practice, you know, the, the value of that data. And you also mentioned uh, um, reputational um, um, a risk, right? Uh, they, they range. They range all over the place, right? So we've seen, uh, you know, there's been dozens of medical practices that have been ransomware. And now, um, the adversary has figured out that there's value in that data, not just back to the practice, but to the patient. Mm-hmm. So the monetary opportunity is not only to go back to the practice and undecrypt that, uh, that, that, that data for the practice, but go to the patient themselves uh, with a ransom to not publicly release all of their medical records unless they pay. Mm-hmm. Well, if that practice got breached and that happened, that's what we call an ELE. That's an extinction level event where that practice, nobody's going back to that practice ever again um, because their data is. So, no, that not only is, I mean, that that type of, rep, of reputational risk, you know, that's an extinction level event. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you go and then you go all the way up to, uh, you know, like like the big box stores, uh, you know, I've mentioned, you know, you know TJX, you know, the TJ Maxx hack from all those years ago is still talked about today. Um, but you know what? Their stock dipped um, barely double digits. And within two weeks, it was back up again. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, people want to go where they're going to get the most value for the for the price. And if their credit card gets stolen, they'll just go get a new one. Um, right. So what's what exactly is that uh, perception in the market? So the reputational risk is really, really all over the place on the spectrum. and really needs to be analyzed uh, on a on a uh, per client basis, I agree. Yeah, people have short term memory when it comes to that, you know. And those companies are really good at using yeah. their branding and smoke and mirrors to make sure you move on and buy some more stuff. All right, so talk to us about a few more trends that you're seeing, or if they're not trends, but at least things that th- these businesses listen. Oh, I got to this a ton. episode. I got a ton. I got a ton. <laughs> you mentioned and you, you've mentioned a lot of. Obviously, you're staying very very current with all of this and what you're bringing to your viewers. I appreciate that. Um, but the next one I would probably talk about is, is the cyber insurance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the fact of the matter is, is the actuarials on cyber, uh, are not anywhere near what they are in anything else, right? Traffic, mm-hmm. you know, automobile fire, whatever. Right. So there's not a lot of data, uh, insurance companies are getting killed. Ransomware continues to work. Um, right. All those kinds. So, uh, rates are going through the roof. Uh, cyber insurance uh, uh, questionnaires are getting more and more difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would title this one that the uh, insurance is the new compliance. So you have, let's say, you know, you're not taking credit cards, right? So you're not PCI, you're not mm-hmm. a publicly traded 
uh, hospital, right? So you're not HIPAA, high tech, um, you know, socks for whatever the alphabet soup is. Uh, maybe you don't have any compliance targets because you're a medium sized business and, you know, maybe you're a honey ham store or something like that. Right? Um, but you are, you do have digital assets. There are a certain amount of value there, right? And you do want to make sure that those things are insured. In order to get that cyber insurance, guess what? There's a checklist. They want to know your password complexity. How often are you changing them? They want to know about your two-factor authentication. Mm-hmm. You get to be, do you have it? You check the box, yes, okay, where? Right, because how many entry points do you have, right? Into your email, into your network, VPNs, right? Any mm-hmm. number of say, so where is it, how is it deployed? Um, so these questionnaires are getting, are becoming almost as complex as a lot of the compliance targets now. So even if you don't have a compliance target and you, I don't know how you could do business without having a cyber policy. Uh, just because so much of our data uh, and how we operate day to day is is yeah. online or, or, or digitized, right? Um, you do actually, in fact, have a compliance target and it's getting more difficult. You have to execute all of the things that they're asking for. Uh, either they won't write you or if they are currently writing you, they're going to drop you uh, or your rates are going to, in fact, triple in a lot of cases. Yeah, so that's that's another one. Yeah, I mean, I how many we're up to? Yeah, no, no, I I think we're up to three. But I think, um, you know, one of the things is that um, this usually comes from the government in the sense that when I think of like business practices, like you know, keeping data secure for your clients, and I think back to like uh, do not call right DNC and TCPA regulation. And, mm-hmm. and then when websites come about, it really takes many, many years before people or businesses start to pay attention to terms of use and privacy policy and really go through there because that's more, it's you and the consumer, right? And you're, you're just really trying to stay out of the FTC and FCC's way. Um, and that's what we see with section 230 and Facebook, Google, and all these, those seem to be like, really front and center in the news because it it impacts you know every every consumer who has a smartphone and i'm thinking in those conversations they would be perfect to really cover cybersecurity i wonder what you think about that because you're right when you were talking about tiktok and the permissions that you give permission to your pictures permission to your contacts and everything else that's pretty much every app that you try to download they they you know strong arm you into agreeing to all those things or to your point, the app is not going to function to its best ability. So uh, what, you know, what do you think about government, you know, really uh, requiring that from, from these companies? Well, I mean, I think a lot of it will self-regulate. I mean, Apple self-regulated years ago. Uh, People may remember the Angry Birds uh, Mm. game uh, that was actually developed by a company called Rovio uh, to track geolocation data. Mm-hmm. Um, and the game went viral, uh, and it was it was stealing. Well, it's, stealing is a bit uh, is a bit harsh, uh, but nonetheless, they were collecting uh, the uh, geolocation data uh, without uh, specific permission. You may remember about that time. That yeah. But then they put in the policy now that if you are going to request these things, then you have to opt in uh, and not just bury it in a user license agreement. So I think a lot of that will self will self regulate. Um, within, because at the end of the day, consumers are becoming more and more savvy 
um, about giving away that that type of data. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be interesting to see some studies on on like the youngest part of, of the generation. I think mm-hmm. as they are coming up, they've been so indoctrinated with all of this that it is almost becoming a culture for them um, as well. Um, so I think you, a lot you, of- you think in a good way or bad way, you think they that the, this Gen Z and millennials, you think they're more prone to just downloading everything or just actually being aware of the dangers? I, well, in what I see in my in, in my opinion, and it is that I mean, with my nieces and things like that, they're very, very careful about okay. what they download and, okay. and what and what they're posting. And, and parents, I think, are uh, very strongly encouraging them to be careful with what they're doing and, and, and all that. I mean, I heard one of my, one of my other nieces uh, in a conversation with one of her, with one of, one of her friends uh, telling her, don't post that until you're somewhere else. Like that. Right. Like, yeah. Well, start posting yeah. vacation pictures when you're on vacation, uh, announcing to the world that you're not home. Right. I mean, that type of thing has become um, so integrated into, in, into our culture. Kids hear that on a repeat right. basis and then i think it's become part of their almost part of their their dna so maybe maybe i'm a, a bit of the optimist um but um i think it's really becoming more part of what their day-to-day life is and not the, that they're just you know, download something i mean i'm sure you can make the argument both ways if there'll be somebody else that will tell a story that their kids just do whatever uh, but I think generally speaking, from my little lens of the uh, of the world, I think the DNA for four kids, what they're hearing, I think is generally more restrictive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I again and I see it all over the place. I teach some college courses from time to time uh, on digital marketing, and I usually do a questionnaire at the beginning of the semester. What apps do you have? How do you go about downloading apps? How do you go about doing this? And it, it is kind of all over the place. You know what I liken it to, Bryant? And I see this with my kids and with other kids and parents that I talk to. Um, and I've done a lot of episodes on how to keep your kids safe. And I'll ask the questions about VPNs, this, that, and the other location. Um, you know, not using browsers like Chrome, going for something like Brave or Firefox. And here are the reasons, you know, not that everything is going to keep you safe, but I just don't trust some of these uh, companies. But so you're using a browser from a company who's designed a search engine that gathers everything and then you're shocked that they're gathering your information. Exactly. You know? And so when I talk to the parents, I think that there is, it's, it's like financial literacy. You know, there are so many kids who are, you know, brought up in a house where maybe the parents are financially stable and have a college education, but haven't taught them financial literacy and they're not learning it in school, right. Until maybe they get to college and learn it the hard way. I think the cyber stuff is kind of the same, Brian, it, 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 from what I've seen is that regardless of the background, some kids are on point, as you said. And then there are other kids that I've met that I'm like, wow, I can't believe you just invite that way. companies yeah. into your device without any. And then you talk to the parents and ask them about that. And they're like, oh, I mean, you know, no. I'm like, how are you managing all the devices? I don't know. Are they using this or that? Like what kind of software? Nope. They're just leaving well, and it it's, to... it's Yeah, it's the I have nothing to hide theory, right? Yeah. And what they don't realize is, is you know, the age, the age old adage, if you're not paying for the data, you are the data. Um, not really that, that, yeah, realizing yeah. that what they're actually creating is they're creating themselves as a data point. Um, 
you're the product for sure. So as we get here towards the, this side of the podcast, I wanted to give you the opportunity. You mentioned about the process that you guys have the ring process. You mentioned yeah. that at, at leapfrog, but, um, anything else that you're seeing on that trend list from leapfrog's experiences, um, that you want to share? Yeah. So a couple things. So, um, one of the, uh, I mean, it's it's trend season, right? So I see all these reports all, all the time from, you know, everybody from Forbes to, uh, you know, Wired or whatever. Um, and one of the ones that I really do agree with us and one of the things I've actually made a, a career out of, uh, and we touched on it a little bit, is that program side, right? the building that culture mm. of security around. Um, so as, uh, you know, post-pandemic, wherever everybody stands on that. But as people are um, working more remote, some are coming more back into the office. Mm -hmm. um, right. So there's a lot of opportunity there uh, for data to be a little bit more scattered because we're now we're kind of in this transition. Uh, there's no more data at risk than when it is uh, in transition. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, data at rest can be, uh, you can put a perimeter around it, right? Data in motion, you can tunnel, but when it's in transition, it's really difficult to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so when you talk about, uh, just, you know, so post pandemic remote access, uh, mm -hmm. coming back into the office, managing those access controls, uh, from now multiple locations, uh, those kind of things. Right. So just that trend, as we are finding our new normal out of the pandemic from remote access to, uh, you know, work from home, um, that analogy or that acronym has kind of become work from anywhere mm -hmm. uh, now, right? So now we've got, uh, like you were saying, so people are working from, you know, coffee shops, airports, you know, whatever. Uh, so I think that as a trend is not quite died out yet. We're going to still see a lot more of that. I think it'll be a little bit different uh, in that, uh, you know, last year, everybody was moving mobile. Now everybody's mm -hmm. sort of moving back, but there's no definitive schedule on how things are moving back. And there's real no definitive plan yeah. on some organizations, uh, I was on on a meeting uh, in the office right over there about an hour and a half ago with an organization that completely dissolved their uh, central location office. They are now uh, completely 100% virtual. Wow. Okay, so there's there's a new paradigm in the IT world for that. And then subsequently, uh, you know, uh, as we're pushing into more private cloud, uh, you know, that's that's another one. That's probably the other trend because of that, you know, as we talk about access control and the, and, and the users, then we talk about where the actual digital assets are. You're pushing those things more into the cloud. You know, that's going to continue. But even that is becoming, there's a new normal uh, that's coming for that, where, you know, private cloud, hybrid cloud, you know, these new names and things are developing because it really is becoming uh, a, a hodgepodge of necessity. Uh, where, you know, we're outsourcing all of this to, uh, you know, a HR provider. Uh, and I'll come back again to the program uh, and say, uh, from a risk perspective, people say, well, I'm, I'm going into the cloud, so I'm, I'm safe. Mm -hmm. Well, what you've actually done is, is the, you think you've transferred the risk out, and that's actually not true. Uh, what you've done is you transferred your data out. The risk still stays with you. It's still mm -hmm. your name. If that cloud provider gets hit, it's still your name that goes into the papers, uh, right? So the risk is still there. But what, what you've done when we look at our ring of security is you've taken that risk from the technology side that you were managing and you've pushed it over into the, the procedure and the policy side 
because now there's a third party diligence that needs to be done on that mm-hmm. provider to make sure that they are in fact doing the things that they need to be doing. So all you've done is you, from a risk perspective, if you've taken that risk from the technology side and you've pushed it around the program side where you need to have, excuse me, a very active and a very robust third-party risk program that that properly tears your vendors out. What's high and critical vendor? This vendor has all of our data. They're 34% of our business. Uh, Okay. Um, are they properly protecting the data? Uh, are they using, you know, basic things that we found in third parties that aren't doing mm-hmm. these things for some of our customers? Right? Third party uh, uh, session timeouts, data throttling, basic things that you would suspect that a household name, a name that you and I both know very well that we see on the golf course uh, in hats and so forth sometimes, not doing the things that they need to be doing for basic cyber, uh, cyber hygiene. Uh, so you've taken that risk. You think you've transferred it out. You've actually moved it around to third party and you need to be focusing your efforts over there. Right. So there's a shift in how that how that works. There's there's I think maybe your your final two. Um, <laughs> we can, we, I mean, we can I, keep going if you like. Well, it's interesting because I think in, in this topic of cybersecurity and, and the threats, you could take just like as you, you mentioned, I mean, these five um, trends that you gave us, but they kind of split out into like maybe another 10, 20, because there's like subcategories of them. And I think that's how it's not that it's so complex, but I think it takes, you know, it takes the kind of leader and you, you hit it so well several times that it's, it's a cultural shift. Like you have to have that as a part of the organization approach. I I liken it to the, you know, the, um, the, the environmental part of it, you know, uh, whereas if you're a manufacturer and you are, you know, worried about your car carbon footprint and you want to make sure that you are protecting, you know, the environment, you're going to have a process, you know, of, of sourcing your goods and doing all of that and safety and, you know, but um, in, in cyber, I think that still not because it's costly, but I think because it, it hasn't happened to most people on a large scale. For, for businesses, like most small businesses you talk to, they're like, well, it's never happened to me. Uh, okay, but it could happen to you. So my my argument for that is just eliminate that risk at the level that it's not that you're comfortable with, but at a level that you're, as your business grows, you can eliminate some of those risks. So whatever that is, you know, if it's a couple thousand dollars a month, or if your business is big enough where you can afford to have a full robust cloud with a, you know, IT department, great, then you know, but I think it's for the smaller businesses that don't have a full-time IT guy who understands it. And by the way, I'm with you. I I know some very large uh, brands that I've worked with on the marketing lead gen side, and I have to go through, you know, do pen tests and all of this on their systems. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I go through the process. And I go, I can't believe this company is not as tight as I would expect it to be. So this is just kind of good news for the small companies to know that even the large outfits, you 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 have people in place who sometimes overlook things, right? And that's where I think you guys come in as that third party to come in and make sure that they're crossing all their their t's, dotting all their i's. You know, it's 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 really, really difficult for a small business that's focused on whatever it is that they are doing. Also, also focus on IT. Yeah. And then subsequently also focus on the security 
not just for the IT, but for the entire ring. Right? It's very difficult for to, to have that that many hats on. Um, so it's just generally better uh, to outsource those things and let people that have the expertise do those things for you. Uh, keep track of them again. You know, coming back to third party again, right? And then Leapfrog is the third party. There, there's nothing in the world uh, like being uh, the one building out that program, right? And then when you are that third party for that client that you've built that, that to see your questionnaires coming back to you because mm-hmm. you've told them that you need to be asking these things of your providers. Uh, and we are the provider, uh, right? So we have to fill out our own our own stuff. Uh, so it's kind of circular that way, which is really awesome. I love to see that. Um, but basically, at the end of the day, you can kind of break it down like, like this. Uh, small businesses are continually under attack. Uh, they are underfunded. They are under-resourced. They are uh, very rarely focused on, on security. Uh, and that makes a very, very target-rich environment. Um, the data assets that uh, small businesses have are typically more valuable to them than they are to anybody else. So there's always there's a ransomware opportunity there. Uh, we mentioned the um, uh, resources uh, and just simply the, the mass uh, behind the uh, the ransomware capabilities. Um, so it's not a, really a question of if, but when. Um, so if you have a, an IT provider that can do all of these things for you, that understands that security is not just IT, it's also program, right? Third party we mentioned, uh, incident response, I think we talked about a little bit, right? All these little things that we talked about uh, that aren't the bits and bytes uh, that actually build uh, that culture and build that ring of of security around your business uh, so that you can focus on doing the things uh, that you need to do that generate the revenue. And at the end of the day, um, for most organizations, uh, a provider like LeapFrog can do it cheaper, Um, you know, I hate it when I say cheaper, but certainly more, uh, certainly, certainly more valuable, right? Cost so, effective. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I we, think it's yes, about, yes, thank you. it's, thank it's you about delivering. Obviously, I'm not a marketing person. Yeah. I was going to say, you, you know, I'm not going to even bother uh, giving you the the, the, the the time to do a sales pitch because you're not the sales guy. No, but that's why I think I love talking to people like, like yourself as, as a leader, Brian, because you're not trying to sell. You're really trying to solve problems. And the, 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 all the guests that we have in this podcast, our listeners know they're not here to sell. So, so, you know, but, uh, but the solutions that we like to talk about here are the solutions that really can help propel a business. And I, I just thought the timing of 2023 around the corner and how things are changing, as you mentioned in the market with work from en- everywhere, which is, uh, I agree with you. I mean, there's so many things there to worry about, but if, if the listener is thinking like, okay, where do I start? Because the, the web is big. There's a lot of fake information out there. Do you guys offer like webinars and white papers, case studies that they can go to the website and start there? And yeah, so leapfrogservices.com. Um, there's there's some stuff up there that can kind of t- we we talk a lot about cyber insurance, as I mentioned. Uh, we talk about the ring of security and kind of uh, uh, protection that way. There there's some things there. Um, I would I would advise you. You talked about you know how everything's big, right? So you're trying to boil the ocean, whatever cliche you want to use for that. Um, but it doesn't have to be overwhelming, right? We can we can take this a drink at a time. The most important thing that I would suggest as a cybersecurity veteran to your users, uh, to your listeners, would be um, really truly understand what your assets are. Okay. Right? What servers do you have? What data do you have that needs protecting? Try to put a number on 
what it would cost you to be without that data for how long. If you can, if you can come up with that number, then you know what your IT budget should be. You know what your spend should be for, for protecting it. Right? Mm-hmm. So if you have a data, if, if you're a medical practice, say you've got you know an office, maybe two, uh, whatever, and your access to your patient records uh, was ransom. Suddenly you come in on a Wednesday morning at nine, nine o'clock in the morning and you don't have access to your data. What does that cost? Mm. You've got people that can't work. You've got patients that can't get to their data. You've got patients that you can't see because you don't have access to their things. Now that's down for a day. Call it two, call it three. What does that cost you? Yeah. Reputational, right? Reputational damage. But possible sure. lit- litigation. Yeah, hard to put <laughs> tangibles around that uh, for somebody not, not in the space, but yeah, absolutely. Okay. So uh, cost of labor, right? uh, potential loss of, of patients, you know, just as an example or customers, whatever business, yeah. you know, just really think about all those things. And if you need help, help thinking about that, let us know. And we can start to walk, walk the process. But my point is, is if you really want a place to start, Figure out what your digital footprint is, how you monetize that and what it would cost to be without it for any amount of time. And then what it would cost back into that number uh, and the lights will begin to come on. I like that. That's the exercise I'm going to ask from our listeners. You know, no matter how big, how small you are, put a number behind that. Go to leapfrogservices.com. Take a look at all the information that you guys have to offer. And and as is the case, you know, with every episode here, you know, we we like to say thank you to you, the guests who have taken your time out to share your expertise as a veteran of the cybersecurity industry. So it's been a true honor having you here, Brian. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Alex. Um, Leapfrog.com. And uh, I'll give my personal email address. It's very simple. It's brian.tow. Tao at Leapfrog Services. Um, just by the way, the uh, that ask that I was telling you about, that is a very, very simple version of what we call a business impact analysis. All right. There's oh. a very form, there's a very formal <laughs> processes that, that you can go through that. Uh, a lot of time when you put names and acronyms on something, everybody you know kind of steps back. But yeah. just simply understanding your assets, using that as a starting point, because at the end of the day, um, you can't protect what you don't know that you have. And if you don't know what the value is of it, you don't know how to do that. So maybe that's a good place to start. Hopefully that's been some value for, for your listeners. Absolutely. And, and if we at least get one one taker here, which I know we always will, then we know that we can make a difference in, in at least one company out there. So we've done our job. Thanks again, that's, Brian. That's been my mission. We're going to accomplish. We'll, we'll protect the world one client at a time. All right. Perfect, Brian. Well, 